Good morning. If you're a regular here at the Vista, you will have already noticed something's gone terribly wrong today, right? Some of us love Vista for its sort of young, hip pastors with their skinny jeans and their relaxed look running back and forth across the front here. You may be disappointed, right? You may be thinking, no, 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 Wednesday coming back? That's not Austin. He's old. Look at him. Bald-headed man. His shirt's tucked in. He's sitting down. How's he supposed to run back and forth across the front? All right. I totally understand that reaction. To my knowledge, I'm still the oldest person who's ever preached in this church. I don't own a pair of skinny jeans. I have shoes that are older than Jordan. (laughs) But maybe, just maybe, there's one old idea in this old body that will be helpful to you today. We'll see. The good news today is that we're starting on a new short series. It's going to be an important few weeks here because we're going to take these uh, just three weeks before we start preparing for Advent to see what the Lord has to say to us about prayer. I think it's a great idea, right? I don't think there's nothing that more of us um, feel useless about um, than our prayers, perhaps, but there's nothing really more central to the Christian life than prayer. Seriously, who here is completely satisfied with their prayer life? Yeah, right, we all need help. We all need help here. Uh, And in this series, we're going to focus in the Psalms. You see prayer all throughout the Bible, of course, but we'll be mainly utilizing the psalm for the next three weeks to explore three essential prayers that every Christian needs in their arsenal. And those three prayers will be help, sorry, and thank you. If we can get our heads wrapped around those three prayers, then much of what we need to talk about with God will fit within that framework. And if you read all the way through the psalms, all the prayers there, you'll see that they will generally fall into one of those three categories. So today we're going to start with help. And to help us wade into that, we're going to be focusing on Psalm 109. It's a peculiar psalm. I think you'll find that the Lord has a lot he can say through it. So let's just begin by reading that together. And then whatever else we do, the word of God will have gone forth. Right? For the director of music... A psalm of David. My God whom I praise, do not remain silent. For people who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me. They have spoken against me with lying tongues. With words of hatred they surround me. They attack me without cause. In return for my friendship they accuse me. But I am a man of prayer. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. So right away here we see that David has encountered a problem that Many of us can relate to, and that's handy because a lot of time in the Psalms we see David confronting problems that aren't that sort of common for most of us. David's always praying, you know, wanting victories in battle, not directly relatable, you know, to many of us. But this time, David wants help with something that most of us can relate to because this time David needs help because he's been betrayed by a friend, right? Someone has told lies about David, and he has to deal with the damage that those lies are doing in his life. And many of us have experienced that, right? 
I mean, virtually every middle schooler has had problems with, you know, children telling lies about each other, or at least sort of sharing things that we told them in confidence that we thought would be secrets. It's not just middle schoolers either. I mean, it happens in the professional world. Once when I was practicing law, I was told to hand off a deal that I was working on to another lawyer so that they could finish that deal and I could go on and work on something else. And that lawyer was older than me, but he thought I was a little bit ahead of him, and he didn't like that. So he went to our boss and told our boss, Ah, Larry didn't do any work on that deal. I'm having to start that all over again. Made it sound like I'd made some horrible delay for our clients, right? How do you think I felt? How do you think I felt when my coworker said this about me? I think I have actual footage of myself immediately after that meeting. There is actual footage of me in that, in that meeting. Could we play that clip? <laughs> right? I had that deal well underway. I'm feeling like, oh my gosh, dude, you lied about me. You're, you're a liar. You're not just a liar. You're a no good, dirty dog, double crocking, backstabbing liar. Right? You're an actual punk snake, full headed, ought to be smacked garbage boy. I do not have the time or the, or the crayons to explain how this deal is going to work, but you better figure it out because you are not pretty enough to be this stupid. Right? Tell me I'm the only one. <laughs> Tell me I am. When people betray us, we feel this, right? It's not just old guys like me or, or my boy Gollum, right? David felt it too, and he responded. He responded pretty similarly. Let's pick him up in verse 6. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he's tried, let him be found guilty. May his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off, their names blotted out from the next generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May the sins of his mother never be blotted out. You know it's serious when we bring in the mothers, right? May their sins always remain before the Lord that he may blot out their names from the earth. For he never thought of doing a kindness, but hounded to death the poor and the needy and the brokenhearted. He loved to pronounce a curse. May it come back on him. He found no pleasure in blessing. May it be far from him. He wore cursing as his garment. It entered into his body like water, into his bones like oil. May it be like a cloak wrapped around him, like a belt tied forever around him. May this be the Lord's payment to my accusers, to those who seek evil of me. Whoa. David's pouring it on thick, isn't he? Right? Like, whoa, David, you know, maybe you ought to slow your roll, you know, ease back just a little bit. But it brings up a very important question. It's right here in the Bible, right? David's praying it. Is it okay for me to pray that God will curse our enemies? Oh, that's a hard one. Right? It's tempting to read 
Psalms like Psalm 109 is giving us permission to curse our enemy. This psalm is actually referred to as the Judas Psalm. Some of you might have noted it. St. Peter quotes this psalm in Acts chapter 1 when he's advising the disciples to replace Judas, right, because, uh, um, because he's left the apostolate, right? And if ever there was someone that might have earned the curse of God's people, it would be Judas, right? That would be the one. But I think uh, it's important for us to know that when Peter applies this psalm in Judas's case, Judas is already dead, right? Peter doesn't appear to be quoting this psalm in order to lay a curse on Judas. He's rather providing direction to the disciples about how they should respond to the fact that Judas has died, right? So there are really two schools of thought on this question. Some church traditions, including some of our Catholic sisters and brothers, pray the Psalms. They pray all the way through them. And they pray Psalm 109 just like you're reading it here. Right? Now when they do, they tend to spiritualize that and say, well, you know, we don't war against flesh and blood. So when we lay out these curses, we're really cursing the enemy. And it's appropriate um, for us to curse the enemy that way. I think that's questionable theology. Uh, Who are we to judge the Lord's servants? There's a story in Jewish tradition of how the archangel Michael and the devil argued about who would take possession of Moses' body after Moses died outside the promised land. And in our New Testament, in Jude chapter 1, it reports that Michael refused to curse the devil. And he simply said, Uh, May the Lord rebuke you. Others of us take a different approach to the curse psalms like Psalm 109. And we would say that, you know, the Bible is faithfully capturing what David prayed here. But we never see anyone advising us to pray in this same way. In Luke 11, when the disciples ask Jesus, they just say, Lord, teach us to pray. Right? Jesus doesn't start with, our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name, and you know that annoying co-worker I have, please shank him in the kidney, right? (laughs) It's not like that. In Romans 12, Paul calls on us to bless and not to curse those who persecute us. He's very clear about this. So the Bible faithfully records a lot of events that occurred in history, and some of them are terrible events, but the Bible doesn't command us to do all of those terrible things. Even so, I think we can see here that when David is overcome with emotion at the unfairness and the betrayal that he's experiencing, right? David prays this prayer that God will make his enemies' children orphans and and his wife a widow. That doesn't mean that God is necessarily suggesting that we ought to pray in the same way. Fortunately for David, and maybe for us, uh, this prayer doesn't end in curses, right? David returns his attention to the Lord, and he finishes the prayer by asking for help. So let's pick him up in verse 21. But you, sovereign Lord, help me for your namesake. Out of the goodness of your love, deliver me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. I fade away like an evening shadow. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees give away from fasting. My body is thin and gaunt. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they shake their heads. Help me, Lord my God. Save me according to your unfailing love. 
Let them know that it is your hand that you, Lord, have done it. While they curse, may you bless. May those who attack me be put to shame, but may your servant rejoice. May my accusers be clothed with disgrace and wrapped in shame as in a cloak. With my mouth, I will greatly extol the Lord. In the great throng of worshipers, I will praise him, for he stands at the right hand of the needy to save their lives from those who would condemn them. Ooh, that's better, right? This feels like a very strong about face. David very sort of quickly pivots from cursing his attackers to asking the Lord God to help him. And the central question that I think we need to take on today is why does he do that? How is David able to shift so quickly and easily from being this sort of furious golem character to being the beautiful, glorious, holy King David? And maybe even more importantly than how does he do it, how come we don't do that? Why isn't my first inclination in time of trouble to reach out to God in worship for help? What is so different about David and us? For me, there's some obvious differences. My reading of the Old Testament suggests that David is just a lot more disciplined than me, right? You can tell that he's a very disciplined person. He was an outlaw for years, right? Moving from cave to cave, fighting this defensive war against a king that he can't kill. I suspect you don't survive that kind of life without being supremely disciplined. And then there was that moment in 2 Samuel 23 when David is so thirsty, right? He's sort of dying of thirst. And he tells his men, oh, how I long for water from the well outside of my village in Bethlehem, which is behind enemy lines at the time. But three of his men break through the Philistine lines and they go to this well and they bring back David this very water that he was so craving and he won't drink it. He just pours it out. He pours it out before the Lord, he says, because it wasn't right for his men to risk their lives to bring him this water, this water that he so desperately wanted. I mean, that's, that's pretty disciplined, isn't it? David's just more disciplined than I am. And that has to be why he prays for God's help while I just worry and get depressed, you know? Are you, are you feeling this? I mean, what do you do when you're confronted with somebody lying about you? What do you do when you're confronted with somebody who's betraying you or threatening you? Sometimes we just turn into Gollum, right? Hate them forever. Sometimes we just escape. You know, when the going gets tough, we go to the beach. At least mentally, we, you know, we go to the beach. We're at the very end of the semester at UMHB right now. And the students are losing their minds. They have finals to prepare for. They have papers that are coming due that they may or may not have started. And all these projects that they're supposed to be concluding. And we all know if they were disciplined, you know, they'd be putting their shoulder down and, and, and asking God for help and making sure it's all getting done. But sadly, I think what many of them are doing is binging Netflix and Battlegrounds. I don't think we all strongly suspect that the reason that David is able to turn to God the way he is is that he's just more disciplined than we are. My reading of the scripture also suggests that David is more spiritually mature than me. Shocking, I know, right? 
You don't write most of the book of Psalms without being sort of on another spiritual level. Wouldn't you agree? You know, you think about all the other people that are famous for writing hymns. They weren't spiritual newbies. Martin Luther, founder of the Reformation, wrote, A mighty fortress is our God, a favorite of many old guys. Charles Wesley uh, wrote 6,000 hymns including Hark the Herald Angels and Christ Our Lord is Risen Today, some of the most famous ones. St. Thomas Aquinas wrote Eucharistic hymns like uh, uh, Bread of Angels in Latin. In Latin! Those guys are like David. I'm just not. Those guys immediately turn to God for help when someone wrongs them. I just hate them forever. That's what I do. I think most of us could agree that if we wanted to be better and more punctual about our prayer life, then we would have to grow in spiritual maturity. How many of us just sort of see ourselves repeating the same sins over and over again and not really seeming to be making any progress at all, right? Does that, does that resonate with some of us today? Yeah. Some years ago, my very wise wife Um, hired a fellow to come and mow our grass every two weeks. I resisted this because of some puritanical views that I grew up with about how you shouldn't hire somebody to take care of your own possessions. But mercifully, she prevailed. And now every two weeks, this fellow comes and he mows our grass. It always looks great. We don't have to schedule it. We don't have to check on it. We don't have to ask him about it. He just shows up, right? I mean, he's the Santa Claus of grass mowers. It's, it's, It's perfect. But sometimes he mows the grass when, by my view, it didn't really need it, right? And I can't tell you how many times in this year of our Lord, 2022, I have driven up to our house and thought, why does he keep mowing the grass? Right? It doesn't need to be mowed. Is he even cutting anything? Is it, is it good to keep it that short? And I've invested time on many, many days wishing that he wouldn't mow it so often. You know what I haven't done? Anything. I haven't talked to him about it. I haven't talked to my wife about it. I haven't asked other people, hey, how often do you think we should mow our grass? I haven't Googled how often should you mow your grass. I have done nothing. I most certainly haven't prayed about it. I am, in fact, completely stuck with all these harmful feelings sort of going on in my head and going nowhere. That just doesn't sound like David to me. So this is where our analysis has left us. David prays like a rock star, and we don't. If we want to pray more like David, our analysis tells us we need to be more disciplined like David. If we want to pray for help the way that David does, we need to be spiritually mature like David is. And it's awfully easy to just beat ourselves up about that, right? Why am I so weak? Why am I so lazy? Why am I so immature, so self-focused? Why am I not more dedicated to this prayer thing? Our analysis has revealed that our prayer lives stink because we stink. Here is the gospel All our analysis is wrong. If we do not pray for help, it is not because we are weak and undisciplined. If we do not pray for help, it is not because we are spiritually immature. 
The reason we do not pray for help is because we do not know God. We can beat ourselves up about being weak and try to discipline our minds and our bodies to pray when things go wrong. And we could put notes on our desk that say things like pray first. We could put it on our desktop. We could put it on the bathroom mirror. But the problem is not that we are weak. We are weak. And none of those helps would be out of place for us. But our prayer lives are lacking. That's not the reason. The reason is because we do not know God. We can mourn the fact that we aren't spiritually mature. We can try and be intentional about growing in our spiritual maturity and and, and read the word and we can listen to podcasts or sermons or we can put it on our weekly to-do list to come in early on Sunday morning and go to a class here at the Vista. And rest assured, we are spiritually immature and all of those things would help that. But if our prayer lives are lacking, that's not the reason. The reason is that we do not know God. David, it turns out, knows some critical truths about God that we have failed to appreciate. I think most of us would agree that these things are true, but we don't know them in the way that David knows them. We don't know them experientially. We don't know them emotionally, viscerally, in the same way that we know that gravity exists or that Dr. Pepper is, you know, tasty. David knows that God is good. He says this in verse 21. But you, sovereign Lord, help me for your namesake out of the goodness of your love. Deliver me. Most of us, again, I suspect, would agree that God is good. And and that's an important thing. It's a fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith that God is good. But David may know it in a way that you and I don't know that. David knew God's goodness experientially. He knew it in the experience of his anointing back in 1 Samuel 16. I mean, remember who David is, right, at the time that he's anointed by Samuel? He is the youngest brother in a small, insignificant family in a lowly village in nowhere Judah, right? That's who David is. But David knows that God is good and that God has a good plan for him. God's plan is for David to rule over his entire nation, to defeat all his enemies, to set up his capital in Jerusalem, to prepare a dynasty that's going to build the temple and enter into the whole golden age of Israel's history. That's David's plan for God. Sorry, that's God's plan for David. And David knows this. And so when evil men trouble David... He prays for God to rectify the injustice that he's experienced because he knows that God is good. So David knows that God is good and has a good plan for him. Is that really why his prayer life is so rich, Larry? Yes. Yes, it is. Last week was registration week at UMHB, so all the students are registering for their spring classes, and some of them run into trouble trying to get registered for the classes they need, and sometimes when they run into trouble, if they're business majors, they come to Larry. So I had this student in my office last week because he wanted to take an overload in the spring. He wanted to take 21 hours. That's a lot, yeah? Some of you get it. That's a lot, all right? And so Larry told him, I'm not going to approve that. 
And that student might well have just got up and said, well, thank you for your time, and politely walked out the door. He might well have thought, well, you know, I tried, and I guess I'll have to try something else instead. Now, this particular student has pretty good self-agency. Sadly, not a lot of them do. A lot of them aren't great at representing themselves. But mercifully, he stuck around, and over the course of the next half hour, we worked out a couple of alternatives for how he can meet all of his graduation requirements, still get out in May, and not have to take 21 hours, right, without having to risk his GPA, without having to pay for all those credits. Why did that student stay in my office after I told him, I'm going to deny your request? I haven't told you this part yet, but that student knows me. I have that student in class right now. I see that student every Tuesday and Thursday. We've already worked out a number of issues that they need to resolve. That student stayed in my office because he knew me, and he knew I would have a good plan for him. On a completely different level, extrapolating from the ridiculous to the sublime, Almighty God has plans for you that are light years better than any of your plans, and you can know the goodness of God. God invites you to know his goodness. It's already there. It's all around you. Look up and see the goodness of God. I think I mentioned here before that my wife and I will share a cup of tea and have a you know, short prayer time in the morning before we get out of bed. She could just you know, pop up and get cracking, but old Larry, he needs a minute, right? You know, let me get this tea down me. Let me, you know, let my eyes come into focus, get the blood pumping a little bit. And almost every day we pray together. And routinely we will just thank God for how good he is to us. We woke up in our own bed, in our own house. None of us are in hospital. All our children are healthy and gainfully employed. All of our children live within 30 minutes of us. God is good to us. We have had our share of fights and failures and fatalities in life. But one thing we know is that God is good and he has a good plan for us. Amen. I promise you, he has a good plan for you too. Know the Lord and know his goodness. When we know the Lord and know his goodness, we'll ask him for help. Not because we're dedicated or energetic or fastidious, but because we aren't. If you want to improve your prayer life, don't beat yourself up to pray harder, longer, faster. Know the Lord and know that he's good. And you will pray. Just as we can know that God is good, we can know that God loves us like David knew, that God loved him. My wife teaches third graders at First Baptist uh, 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 Woodway in Waco. Shout out, shout out, Mrs. Mrs. Locke, right? Um, So every fall, she gets a new class of students, and most of them don't know her at all, right? They've never had her in class before, and they don't know, do they? How is she going to deal with them How is she going to react to them? How is she going to treat them? Like, you know, if I forget my jacket when we go out for recess, is she going to let me run back and fetch it? Or am I just going to have to shiver for 20 minutes, you know, this winter? Or, gee, if I need to make an unscheduled bathroom run, is she going to let me go? 
These are very important questions to a third grader. They're very important for old guys, too, it turns out. Old guys are famous for making unscheduled pit stops. And my wife has often said, I'm not the best teacher in the world, but I love my students. I tell her she's half right. She probably is the best teacher in the world, right? And she absolutely loves her students. I mean, she sacrifices for these kiddos. She stays up night and she prays about them, worries about them, try to prepare things for them so that it can meet their needs. She spends all her money on them, right? Every week, it seems like there's a box arriving at our house. Lisa, what is this big box that, you know, the UPS man just, just dropped off? Oh, that's new curriculum I bought for my students. You just bought new curriculum for all of your students in your class. Yeah, the old curriculum that school had wasn't working, so I just, I just bought a whole new one. What? Have you, what? Right? Last month it was desk pets? I don't even know what a desk pet is. Is that, is that really a real thing? I don't even know. I do know that I spent all weekend going from shop to shop to shop in Dallas so that she could find all the necessary elements to put these desk pets together for her children. She had a little boy this semester who brought her his scarf and it had a hole in and she asked, he asked her if, if she could crochet and repair this hole in his scarf. His mom was mortified, <laughs> right? But she stayed up late at night crocheting this little kid's scarf. You get it, right? She loves her students and they know that. And so they ask her for help. They ask her for every kind of help. They don't ask her for help because they're mature. They're third graders. They're the very definition of immature. They don't ask her for help because they're dedicated and strong and diligent. They ask her for help because they know she loves them. When you know God loves you, you will ask him for help. If you don't ask him for help, it's because you do not know that he is good and that he loves you. We can know that God loves us. He always has. He always is loving us. And this is the simple truth that this old man is bringing you today. If you're unhappy with your prayer life, don't bother beating yourself up, trying harder and, and trying to be more diligent and more mature. Remember the goodness of God and how much he loves you. And the prayer will happen then. That leaves you in an important place. It leaves us all in an important place. Larry, how do I know God? How do I know him like David did? How do I know him like your wife's third graders know her? It's not hard. It will take time, but I guarantee you'll enjoy it. You don't have to beat yourself up to do it, but you will absolutely have to do it. The simple way to know God is the way that we know anyone. You spend time with him. In his presence. However you do it, you can do it while you're walking your dog tonight and, and ask his forgiveness for wherever you might have failed today. Right? You can do it while you're reading your Bible. You can, 
You can pray with your spouse first thing in the morning and thank him for all of his good gifts. One of the easiest ways to do it is to worship. The very young, very hip Pastor Jordan spends the entire week planning the worship elements of, of our time here on Sunday for the sole purpose of leading you into the presence of God. That's why he does it. How do you think David did it? Right? He wasn't just sitting out there with all those sheep all those years in silence. The man spent time worshiping in the presence of God. I'd like to close by blessing you today. Many of you know that part of my family heritage is Jewish. They were Ashkenazi Jews. And as in so many things, our Jewish neighbors are ahead of us on celebrating the goodness of God, just the way their orthopraxy works. They are blessing God for his goodness all day. It's sort of how they roll. Um, but the blessing I have for you today is called the Kol Zorki. It is a blessing for God because God's providing for all our needs. So this isn't really in the nature of a prayer. It's in the nature of a blessing. So you should probably stand up for this part. While we're young, right? So yeah, um, you needn't sort of bow your head and close your eyes. Um, that's perfectly appropriate behavior for prayer, but this, again, it's not a prayer. It's in the nature of a blessing. So look up. Look up and join me in blessing the Lord. Look up and receive the help of God. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech ha'olam she'asah zorki. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who provides for me all my needs. Now one of our elders is going to come and Lead us in prayer. Brother John. Y'all right, pray with me. God, we just, we pause, God, just to stop and just acknowledge your goodness. God, there are just so many different walks of life in this room, none alike. But one thing that we all can do is stop. And we can just look at you and say, God, you are good, no matter our circumstances. God, you are good. God, as we just move through this time that we have, God, help us. Help us with the things that we struggle with. All the sin that can entangle us, the patterns that we continually find ourselves in. Help us, God, to bring those to the light. God, that's where you say help is found, is in the light. Help us to bring those. God, help us in our relationships as we move through life with our coworkers, our friends, our family, God. Help us to find those deeper relationships that we can hold people accountable and be held accountable. God, help us help others. Help us to look for other people that we can use what you've gifted us with to help. God, ultimately help us look more like Jesus. We pause and just say, we honor your goodness and we ask you for our, your help. In Jesus' name, amen.